Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com slash give. Enjoy the message. Welcome again to Timberlake. My name is Ryan, and like Pastor Ben said, I lead our Castle Rock campus. Welcome, of course, to our campuses and everybody watching online. It's interesting. Uh, I was thinking about it. Pastor Ben mentioned that we're the fastest growing campus, and, and I solely attribute it to two things. Number one, God. And number two, all of the sage wisdom and knowledge and information that we've gotten from Terry Sigmund. Uh, I'm assuming it's secondhand from Ben. I don't know. But uh, no, it's been great. We love being a part of Timberlake. We've been here for two years, myself and, and my wife, Shannon, who I brought with me today. We're really only here because it's a kid-free weekend. We got to leave our kids in Castle Rock. And so uh, ben said, you can come, um, and if you want to leave your kids, and I, I'm like, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. Uh, so you may see me again next week. Uh, no, it's good to be here. I, I love being here with you. We don't get to represent Castle Rock very frequently. If you don't know where Castle Rock is, basically, uh, you get on I-5, and you drive about eight hours through Seattle traffic, and we're about 120 miles south of here. Uh, so that's not a joke. It took a very, very long time to get here. Uh, but I'm so glad, so, so glad that we could be here with you. And um, I'm looking forward to the next few minutes. Ben thought it would be good to bring in a ringer to close out our series this week. Uh, so that, was, that was a joke. Uh, don't tell him I said that. Um, no, I, I'm excited because I get to close out this series that we've been in called At the Movies. And it's, been bring, bring, or it's fun bringing uh, pop culture into church, it, it, bringing these, these concepts and these themes that we find in movies that are the very same concepts and, and themes that we find in Scripture. And we see these repeated concepts over and over and over again. The same things that are true today were true two, 3,000 years ago. And it's interesting to see, and I've loved this series so far because we've been able to do that. Movies at their very best connect with our emotions. If we go to a movie and it doesn't connect to our emotions or it doesn't move us in some way, typically that movie fails. I don't know if you're like me, but I can usually go to a movie theater and when I'm watching the previews, I know when a movie is going to fail. You know what I'm talking about? Like you can, you go watch the preview and, and you can just tell. Like you're sitting there thinking, how did no one catch this? Right? I thought that I would bring some examples with me. I read a, a, a list of box office flops this week. Can I share a few of them with you? Here's the first one. It's called Cowboys and Aliens. Did anybody see it? I feel like you walk in the theater and you think, oh, yeah, that's going to fail, right? I walked in the theater and I thought, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> Cowboys and Aliens. Tell me something better than a movie would have, right? But somebody's thinking, you know what? How arrogant are we that aliens only visit modern day? Here's the second one. A couple years ago, they relaunched the Ghostbusters film. It was a terrible movie. I, I loved the original Ghostbusters. You had, you had guys like Dan Aykroyd and uh, the other guys, the, the blonde guy um, and Dan Aykroyd. Anyway, they were great movies. They were great movies then. They're great movies now. This was not one of them. What about this third one? 
Worst movie I've ever seen was the Lone Ranger remake. Did you see it? It was the worst first half of a movie I have ever seen. I only know about the first half because I turned it off, of course. A terrible, terrible movie. Movies at their very best should move us, right? They should connect with us. And when they don't move us or connect with us, they end up on a list like this. Unless, of course, they move us to, to anger. A lot of movies do that, right? I, I got to thinking this week when I was just 18 years old, 2002, this movie comes out called My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Do you remember it? I was the only 18-year-old boy in America that went to the movie theater and saw My Big Fat Greek Wedding. It was terrible, and I was moved to anger, clearly, because 17 years later, I'm still talking about it. But uh, movies should move us in, in, in some form. I love talking about movies in relation to Scripture because Scripture does the exact same thing. I want to be moved by the things that we find in Scripture just the same as we're moved by these types of movies. Not these types. These were terrible, but you know what I mean. One of my favorite movies of all time was this movie called uh, Field of Dreams. Did you see it? Back in the 80s, one of the greatest movies of all time. And, and, and I thought, how could we close out this, this collection of messages um, about movies uh, without showing this clip from, from uh, Field of Dreams. It's one of the most iconic clips. If you've never seen the movie, you probably know the clip. If you have seen the movie, you know the clip. Go ahead and play that. If you build, you will come. What was that? What was what? That voice just now. What was it? We didn't hear anything. I feel like at the very least we need to recognize that that's a horror film, right? <laughs> Nine dead baseball players forced this farmer in Iowa to cut down his cornfield and build a baseball field. Um, I won't spoil the end of the movie. It gets gruesome. I'm going to just tell you, part two is even worse. Field, field of Dreams, Lost in Iowa. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a fantastic movie, but really kind of lays the foundation for, for what I want to talk about. And even more so, the, the key idea in your first fill in the blank lays a foundation for the next few minutes. It, and it's this. It, it's no quality relationship is ever one-sided. No quality relationship is ever one-sided. If you think about the relationships that you have with with your friends, your best friend, your husband, your wife, your, your spouse. No quality relationship will ever occur if the pair is one-sided. If only one person in the relationship has a voice. We can't have a quality relationship. And sometimes it feels as if this prayer life that we have with God is, is this one-sided relationship. Where we're throwing these words at the ceiling and yet there's nothing ever really coming back down at us. And yet God is always attempting to speak into our lives. God is always attempting to instruct and guide and, and, and fill our lives for his purpose. And sometimes it feels like we have this one-sided relationship where, where we want something really, really good out of God, but we're not necessarily getting it. 
In the book of, uh, of Proverbs, Solomon says this. He says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. If we make our plans and God determines our steps, it almost seems as if God would be writing all of his instructions really, really big on a wall somewhere. Right? That God is writing us letters saying, this is exactly what I want you to do. But that's not really how God works. And most of the time we're left in this, this confusing thing where we're trying to figure out if it's God speaking to us or, or if it's our imagination or, or what's happening in our life. And we end up more like Ray in the movie Field of Dreams. Where is a voice saying, if you build it, he will come. And we have absolutely no clue what or who that voice is. And sometimes it's so confusing or it's vague because we come into church sometimes and preachers preach messages that say, do what God says, listen to God, hear God speak. And we have absolutely no idea what that means. We have no idea what that sounds like. And, and it causes us to think that we're either unqualified or we're broken because we don't know how to discern the voice of God between our imagination. Because we don't fully understand it, we, we ignore it or we put it on the back burner and, and we forget the fact that God is attempting to speak something into us. We see the same thing happen all through Scripture. God has set up the, the whys and the hows in Scripture of, of how to hear his voice and why we need to hear his voice. And he's put people uh, on the timeline of history for us to look at. And this book is just filled with these people. But it's also filled with people that mishear God or mistake God for something else. People that don't know who is speaking. And what happens is, is we find ourselves in these situations where we're, we're on this quest to get to this moment where we can recognize and hear the voice of God. But we don't know what that sounds like. And so we make mistakes up front. For instance, number one, we fail to see the value in prayer. We fail to see the value in prayer. We're on this quest to hear God. We're on this quest to, to take the next steps in our relationship with God, but we don't see the value in prayer. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the book of Psalms, and it's written in such a way that it's 22 stanzas, and each stanza is represented by a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's the longest book, and it's an acrostic of sorts. A is for apple, B is for banana. It's one of those types of things. And David writes this. He says, he says, Powerful people harass me without cause, but my heart trembles only at your word. Let me stop there for a second. Powerful people harass me without cause. Has anybody ever been in a situation where uh, you are being unjustly persecuted or harassed? David is in that moment. David's in this circumstance where powerful people are harassing him without cause. And yet he says, my heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. I hate and abhor all falsehood, but I love your instructions. I will praise you seven times a day because all your regulations are just. Those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. What's the value in prayer? That right there. That everybody that loves the instruction of God, they don't stumble. They stay strong and they have great peace. David's saying, man, I'm being persecuted and harassed unjustly. But here's the thing. I have found that the instruction God has given me is like a great treasure. There's value in the instruction God gives us. It's interesting because as we've been talking through this series and as you read through the book of Psalms, David is hot and cold. 
He's up and he's down, he's back and he's forth. He's clearly struggling with something. But in this passage, in the middle of his circumstance, he identifies the great value in God's instruction. Not only that David's prayer is going this way, but the prayer is also coming this way. And David recognizes how important that is and how valuable that is. Here's the second mistake we make. I think that we fail to recognize God's voice. I think that we fail to recognize what it actually sounds like. We don't hear it. We don't understand it because we're waiting for this audible voice to come booming out of heaven and speak to us. Right? We see it in the movies, so that's how it should be. That there's this audible voice yelling down, hey, this is what I want from you. So let's back up our story a little bit. We have David, who is king of Israel, but before he was the king of Israel, he was a, he was a young boy. And when he was a boy, this, this prophet Samuel comes, and he anoints him to be this future king. Let's back up the story again. You have Samuel, but this time Samuel was a young boy. And, and he's doing this, this internship of sorts under a guy called Eli, this prophet Eli. And, and one night Samuel's laying in his bed, and it says this in 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says, Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and he lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and Eli went. And he said, here I am. You called me. I love this part because if you can envision, I like to envision the story in my head, right? And I see this kid, this young teen boy running in. He's starting to grow his sideburns in, right? His voice is cracking a little bit. And he presents himself. Here I am, Eli, right? And it goes on. I did not call. Go back and lay down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet, been, not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and he went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. I feel like at this point Eli's got to start getting irritated. Maybe thinking, hey, I chose the wrong kid to intern, right? Like something is clearly wrong with this guy. But fortunately it goes on. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. See, what happens in this moment is Eli recognizes that at this period in Samuel's life, he didn't know God. And he didn't recognize or understand what the voice of God sounded like. Fast forward to the New Testament. Remember, Scripture is filled with people that, that get lost in this voice of God, that don't understand. We're all in the same boat that Samuel finds in him. So many times we, we end up in this boat where we're trying to figure out if it's God or if it's somebody else. Fast forward to the New Testament, you've got a guy called Saul. Saul would eventually become the Apostle Paul, but before he became Paul, he was called Saul, and he was a very, very bad person. His job was literally to kill Christians. He was the persecutor of Christians. In fact, when the first person was killed on behalf of Christ, the first martyr called Stephen, Saul was there. He wasn't throwing the stones, but he was guarding the coats of the persons, people that were, that were uh, throwing the stones at Stephen. He was the coat check at this event called Stephen's murder. And post this event, uh, Saul is on his way to the city called Damascus, riding on his horse. And this bright light comes, and this bright light knocks him off of his horse. And as he sits on the ground, this voice comes from the bright light, and it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And again, Scripture is filled with people that don't know the voice of God, so Saul's response back to this voice coming out of a light is, who is this? 
Who is this voice that's speaking to me? Who is this voice that's coming out of this this weird light that just knocked me off my, my horse? See, even Saul, who would later become Paul, who would take the message of Jesus to the Gentiles, Saul, who knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand, still didn't recognize the voice of God. And all through Scripture, we see people who have no idea what God sounds like. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're experiencing this for the first time. Maybe you've been in church your entire life. We're all in the same boat. Where we're trying to crack the code. Where we're trying to figure out how or or even why God is is speaking to me. Where at most our our prayers are this ask to God in in this, this monologue. When God clearly uh, desires a a dialogue from us. But we get confused by the dialogue because the voice that we're hearing is not this audible voice. So it begs the question, if God wants a dialogue with us, how do we make the most out of the prayer life that we have where we're speaking to God and not only is God speaking to us, but we're hearing God? Here's number one. You with me? Number one. How do we have this this, uh, prayer life that we get the most out of? We quiet the world around us. We quiet the world around us. I don't think it's any uh, secret that the world around us is incredibly loud. And I'm not talking about audibly loud. It is very, very loud. But for the most part, uh, I, I truly believe that we are at the loudest point in all of history. And I don't mean audibly loud. I just mean that there are things swirling around us at all times. We are the busiest we've ever been. Work is the craziest it's ever been. Technology is the craziest it's ever been. And there are so many things vying for our attention, right? We don't know each other that well, but, but I love stats. I, I love to talk about stats. I love to read stats. I love to preach stats. I'm, I'm physically incapable of retaining stats, so I'll forget all of this tomorrow. But uh, write them down because they're good. I read this article this week called 126 Facts about social media. I figured that for the remaining amount of time that we have, I'd go through all 126 facts with you. And then uh, Ben said, no, you can have four. So I'm going to give you the best four. You ready? Uh, To put it into context, there are 7.7 billion people in the world. As of last month, there are 7.7 billion people in the world. Of those 7.7 billion people, there are 4.4 billion internet users. Right now, we're in tech country, so you know this stuff, right? 4.4 billion internet users. Of those 4.4 billion internet users, there are 4 billion active social media accounts. 4 billion active social media accounts. I don't know if that knocks your socks off, but that knocks my socks off. Like, that's crazy to think about right? Four billion active social media accounts. On average, we spend 142 minutes a day on social media. That's an average. That means people like myself are bringing it up, (laughs) right? And some of you, you know who you are. 142 minutes. On average, I love the average because it means that somebody is killing it for the rest of us, right? On average, there are 7.6, on average, people have 7.6 social media accounts. 7.6 social media accounts. I have two, and I would not even know where to begin to get four. I could maybe get a third, no clue what the fourth would be. Somebody out there has 15 or 16. Like, that's what's happening here, right? Or what about this? Last year, $74 billion were spent on social media advertising. $74 billion simply on social media 
advertising. It's no secret that we live in the most uh, loud period of time, right? There are 122 other facts I could tell you to prove this, right? But those are the top four. There are, this, is, this is without a doubt the loudest period of time. And yet 2,000, 3,000 years ago, David, before work was crazy, before social media, before telephones or whatever else, in Psalm 46, he says, be still and know that I'm God. How do we know God? We're still. We stop. We settle everything around us. We settle the dust. We, 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 we put our phones down. We put our social media accounts down. We put our kids down. We put our kids to sleep, rather. <laughs> How do we know him? We settle the dust around us because everything is swirling around and it's so incredibly loud. You want to hear the voice of God? Settle the things around you. Here's number two. We quiet the world inside of us. Let's be honest. We can be pretty loud at times. Some of us louder than others. You know who you are. Uh, we know who you are as well. Uh, but we can be really, really loud. I, I fully believe that God gave me the gift of, uh, of a microphone because he knew that he did not give me the gift of volume. Right? I'm not typically a loud person. I hope that one day I grow into to, to a real man that has a real man's voice. But uh, for the time being, God gave me a microphone. I remember when I was a senior in high school, we had to do this uh, senior project. and it was, a, it was a community-based project. We got a grade on it. And lots of kids chose things like, like feeding the homeless or, or building homes for, for Habitat for Humanity. And me and my best friend, we were like, hey, let's coach fifth grade basketball. Right? It was like we were the heroes of the community, and uh, we really took up the cause. And uh, so we're coaching basketball, and this is where I really fully realized that I did not have a loud voice. I would be on the sidelines, and I'm very, very competitive. I'd be on the side of the basketball court, and these kids are running around, and I would just be screaming at them, keep the ball, right? Because, <laughs> because I don't have this loud voice. And I quickly realized that there are these fifth graders that have these second grade sisters who were louder than me, Right? I don't have this loud, audible voice. Some of us have a very, very loud, audible voice, and some of us don't. And whatever side of the fence that we're on, the key is to understand that all of us have the loudest voice inside of our heads. It might not be the loudest voice on the outside, but it will always be the loudest voice on the inside. Have you ever noticed that we can almost always rationalize uh, sin in our life or sin in our heads. We can always justify things that we get into. We can always justify things to work in our favor. We can almost always work these things out in our head because the voice inside of our head is always the loudest voice. I'm a massive uh, 90s sitcom fan. I truly believe that 90s sitcoms were the last time that TV was truly flawless. Uh, you might disagree with me, but you would be wrong. Um, 90s sitcoms are without a doubt the best period of time in all of history. And, and uh, one of my favorite shows from back then is this show called Family Matters. Do you remember it? The, 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 the key character was, was um, Steve Urkel, right? But Steve Urkel wasn't the best character on the show. The best character on the show was called Carl, and he was the dad. Do you remember Carl from the show Family Matters? Late 80s, early 90s. I truly believe that it's just as good in the late 2010s. But there was this... <laughs> There's this character on the show Family Matters called Carl. And what's so funny about this, this one particular scene, and, and I watched the scene four times last week. That's how good this scene was. But I watched this scene, and, and it's this scene that 
Uh, it's this reoccurring scene that happens in pretty much every 90s sitcom where the main character is in some sort of turmoil or conflict and, and a little uh, devil them pops up and a little angel them pops up. Do you remember that scene? Like you can, you can visualize in almost every episode. In the show Full House, it was Manny Tanner. Do you remember that? Just me? Okay. Okay. Maybe I'm being too transparent with you this morning. All these shows had this scene, and, and, and it's a funny scene, and really you can go back and watch these shows, and it's always hilarious. Like, I truly do love it. But, but it's this identification of something that really happens in our heads, where there are these voices that are vying for our attention and vying for our thoughts and, and attempting to control our thoughts. That's why Scripture says to, to take every one of our thoughts captive. Because if we don't take them captive, someone else will. First Peter says, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Why does he want to devour us? Because regardless of age, or race, or, or, or background, or gender, each one of us was made in the image of God. And in the image of God, he's given us this plan and this purpose and this call of God on our life. And the devil, the enemy, would do everything in his power to roadblock that purpose. How does he roadblock that purpose? He gets into our heads. And he speaks these words into our hearts and into our minds that if we are not in control of our thoughts, the enemy will cling to him and do everything in his power to destroy us. Here's number three. We want to have this amazing prayer life. We have to recognize that, that God doesn't have to speak to our ears to get to our hearts. God doesn't have to speak into our ears to get through to our hearts. There's something different that happens. In John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He, he's talking with his friends, and he's having this conversation, and in this conversation he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus is sitting around this table with these friends, and he's saying, here's the thing. I'm not always going to be around. I'm not going to be here forever. But what's going to happen is that God is going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to come, and, and, and he's going to guide, and he's going to direct, and he's going to speak into your lives. And he's not going to contradict the things I've said. He's going to remind you of the things that I've said. See, God has given us this book, and he speaks to us through this book. But he's also given us the Holy Spirit, not to contradict this book, but to complement this book. By speaking into our situation and the circumstances that we're in, in this moment. And it's tough to wrap our heads around because we can't necessarily hold the Holy Spirit in our hands. We can't necessarily hold this voice in our hands. I cannot tell you what it actually sounds like. Because it's going to sound different for me than it is for you. It's going to sound different for, for me than it does for Pastor Ben. It's a different voice, but what this Holy Spirit does is it gets in our hearts and it just nudges us. And it's that nudge that says, go do this or go do that. Go bless this person. Up your generosity. Go speak to this person. It's that nudge that says, hey, maybe the things that you're doing right now are not the best things in the world for you to be a part of. We have to learn to understand that. We have to learn to understand that God is not necessarily speaking to our ears. He's trying just to get to our hearts and to our spirits. Here's how we do it. Number four, we recognize that practice makes permanent. Practice makes permanent. Have you heard that before? 
So frequently we talk about how practice makes things perfect, but that's not the case, right? I would have a very, very different life if practice made things perfect. I wouldn't have got cut from the seventh grade basketball team if practice made perfect, right? But it doesn't. Practice makes permanent. The things that we do over and over and over again become permanent in our life. Our job is to spend enough time in prayer that when we hear that nudge and we act on that nudge, we log it away. We log that one instance of understanding away. So that when the Holy Spirit speaks to us again, we understand it and we act on it and we log it away and God speaks to us again and we log it away and we log it away until all of a sudden we have heard and listened and understood the voice of God so much, it becomes permanent in our life. We have to understand that we cannot simply discern God's voice on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning is not enough for us to make this permanent voice in our heads and in our hearts. Remember David says in Psalm chapter 1, he said, Blessed is the person who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Blessed is the person that does it all the time. We read it earlier in chapter 34. David says, man, I praise God. Seven times a day. And for a lot of us, we're thinking seven times a day. That is a lot of prayer. I'll give you seven times a month, right? And we think that way. But David is saying do it over and over and over again until all of a sudden this this quality two-sided relationship is permanent in our life. I know it sounds kind of odd because, again, we we can't physically grab on to this voice. We can't physically explain what it's going to sound like in our heads. But one of the things I think that we can liken it to on a tangible level is, have you ever been in a large crowd with your kids? And you might not have that booming voice that we talked about earlier, but, but maybe your kids wander off, so, so you just kind of holler out to them and your kids hear you. Not because you're capable of overpowering the voices, but because your kids have been around you so much that they know what your voice sounds like. And your voice didn't overpower everybody else. It simply cut through everybody else. God does not need to overpower all the voices in your life. God needs to simply cut through them. How does he cut through the voices in our life? We start to make his voice permanent, an active part of our life. Here's number five. We want this quality prayer life. We become available to God. If we want to have an ear that hears the voice of God, if we have a heart that hears the voice of God, we have to begin to make ourselves available to the work that he wants to do with and through us. We have to become available to God. Let me get a little stereotypical on you. Men, okay, if I can be a little more specific, husbands are uh, notorious for not listening well, right? Like, have you heard that before? Not me, I'm an incredible listener. Uh, I'm sensitive. I hear my wife's voice all the time, like all the time, but I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> I hear it, right? No, I'm terrible at this. I'm really, really bad at this. I'm, I'm fairly confident my wife's catchphrase is, I've already told you this, right? We hear these things, but, but men are notorious for, for not necessarily being the best listeners. We have selective hearing. For me, I'm even worse at it. About two and a half years ago, I lost the hearing in, in my right ear. And it was, it was uh, just a horrible thing. It's the most aggravating thing uh, in my life. But, but I started to use it to my advantage. And, and what would happen is early mornings, the babies would be in cribs, and they'd be crying and screaming. And, 
And I was able to just roll over on my good ear and just bury my head in a dense pillow, and it's just silence, right? And he could sleep for days. It was a wonder. I'm a terrible husband, but I, but I was very, very well-rested. And then, of course, my kids grew older, and now they just shake my face and ask if they can have more breakfast every day. But uh, what's so crazy is that we're really, really good at selective hearing, right? And it doesn't even have to be a weird medical thing. We're really good at selective hearing. We hear God when it fits into our timeline or our agenda, and a lot of times we choose not to hear God when it doesn't fit into our timeline and our agenda. I think we're all really, really good at selective hearing, even moms. Don't get me wrong, moms, I love you, but, but we're all really good at choosing what we want to hear and what we don't want to hear. But what if we're limiting our ability to hear the voice of God because we have selective hearing? Because that nudge that we feel or that stirring in our spirit doesn't necessarily fit that agenda that we're on. It doesn't fit our feelings or the, or the things that we want to do. If we're only willing to accept what God wants to speak into our lives when it fits into what we want to do, we'll, we'll find that we start hearing the voice of God less and less and less. And not because God has stopped speaking to us, because God is always speaking to us, but because we've chosen to block out the words that he's attempting to speak in our life. See, God has this, this plan for our life, and it's, and it's unique, and it's divine, and it's built, and it's crafted specifically and individually for us. I will never be able to uh, achieve what you could ch- achieve for your specific life. You will never be able to, to, to fill the plan or the purpose for my life. It was created for me. Your purpose and your will was created for you. And yet God's modes and means of transportation of communicating these instructions is simply speaking it into our life. The value of prayer is that we have this God who recognizes that that he has a plan for our life and he so desperately wants to speak it into us. Remember, David says it's like this great treasure. But it doesn't stop there. James writes this. He says, do not merely listen to the word And so deceive yourself. Do what it says. James says, don't merely listen to the word. There's a word. Don't just hear it. He says you have to act on it. God has given us this plan and this purpose, and it's unique, and it's divine, and it's built, and it's crafted specifically for us, but it doesn't stop there. God's desire is that we would hear it and then act on it. Because the plans that God has for us specifically are so much bigger than we will ever realize. And it never ends. It never stops. We don't outgrow God's plan, right? Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.